bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Brian Brushwood. Hello, beautiful people. I just had my mind blowed out the back of my skull by the Mad Max trailer. And Justin Robert Young. Uh, hola, uh, friends. My name is Justin Young. So, uh, yeah, we just watched the Mad Max Fury Road trailer. It looks really exciting, so... Uh, hope it lives it up looks, to it. It looks positively iconic, and uh, yeah. right beforehand I was saying, like, uh, uh, the fusion of the unironic, over-the-top uh, violence imagery with uh, classical music just instantly took me back to uh, A Clockwork Orange or the golden age of science fiction in the 1970s. It looks it looks great. I mean, there's still plenty of ways to screw things up, but everything I saw made me very, very happy. So, gentlemen, let's talk about a couple cool things. So I've got a couple kind of newsy sort of things, and one of the newsy things is going to lead into a philosophical discussion. Now, first off, you're probably going to go like, Andrew, why aren't you here and on your way? Aren't, why aren't you on your way to the airport to go watch the SpaceX launch? Oh, yeah. Andrew, why aren't you on your way to the airport to go to the SpaceX launch? Yeah, Andrew, weren't you supposed to be on your way to the airport to watch the SpaceX launch? Hey, Andrew, yeah, SpaceX is going to go launch. You got to get on the airplane so you can yeah, go to the postponed. airport in Florida. It's postponed. It's postponed to later this week. Hmm. All right. So. Oh. Yeah. Mystery solved. Chalk another one up for Spiro yeah. and the Fudge. And I won't be able to go. So <laughs> wait, what? He's not what? Can't go. I have something scheduled later this week, so I can't go. Who is she? She hot? Is she gonna make your rocket launch? Is she? <laughs> yeah, as I have important meetings, I have to <laughs> attend. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I can't. I this is like. Uh, like yeah, so it's like meetings and stuff. Um, so. Are you for sure going to dock with her station, or uh, is that just something that weather permitting might happen? Guys, this is like I have an empire. I'm trying to run, <laughs> and part of this empire means making sacrifices and stuff. Well, uh, we appreciate that you have made the sacrifices that you made so far. Thank yeah. you, sir. Yeah, it's what I do. It's what I do. So anyhow, <laughs> gentlemen. So. I want to talk about some really cool, big, science-y kind of stuff. And uh, just a really quick update. We spoke to uh, the Open ROV people, and uh, we were going to have one of them on today. But I, I waited till last night to call back, to send an email back with, you know, hey, here's the time. So hopefully maybe in the next episode we'll be able to bring him in. Um, so that's, that's all on me. They reached out to us. We're talking about doing our own underwater robot. And I had a great conversation with David, who's in charge of the guy running the whole Open ROV project. If you go to openrov.com. You'll find out about uh, you know what that's about, and then you go to openexplore.com. You can see where people are creating their own projects, their own sort of you know explorations using underwater robotics. And what we'll probably do with weird things is have people make proposals on open explore. Excuse me, uh, uh, openexplore.com, and from there, um, uh, open explore doesn't appear to be a thing unless it's spelled. that's open explore. Let's try open explorer. Oh, explorer. Got it. On it, boss. Look at that. OpenExplorer.com is opening up right now. Uh, so. And then on the flip side, thank you for everybody who who emailed in. Uh, we got some uh, 
some really, really awesome uh, suggestions of, of where oh my uh, God. drop these things. We have, Justin, do you want to tell them about uh, a couple of them? I'll give uh, you a chance. Yeah, absolutely. So we, what we're doing is we're, we're looking for, we've been looking for somebody who wants to sort of be the admiral of our fleet and dispatch out our underwater robot when we have some sort of investigation. And what we would do is maybe send it to somebody for like a week to do that. If we use openexplorer.com, what will be cool is there are other people who might have some expertise that can help out. We're looking to create kind of like cool team explorations. And so we want somebody to help us on our end administratively sort of supervise the shipping out of the robot and make sure that we get it back. If you go to openexplorer.com, you can see some of the really cool things they're doing from, you know, this whole project started. And David will get into it when he's on the show talking about wanting to go investigate like a cave in the San Francisco area, an underwater cave. But we've had some really awesome things, and we could go perhaps go there to, you know, we'll see about using Open Explorer as a way to make the suggestions for what we want to do. And we just want to, we, you know, you don't have to find something. It could just be something cool to investigate or to look into. And so, so we got a, uh, one in uh, that we, we really, really like. This one came in from Billy in North Carolina. There's apparently a World War II bomber in a lake 20 minutes from his house. Divers went down years ago and said they would never go back because of giant catfish. <laughs> to scare experienced divers. Uh, so he's uh, he, he is uh, an experienced fisherman. Would really, really like the opportunity to drop one of these drones in here and then go explore this uh, plane that apparently by all accounts is in there. And I'm going to go ahead and say it's haunted. Holy cow. Uh, there's there's an investigation just south of my location in Austin, Texas, in Wimberley, Texas, where they're investigating Jacob's Well in Wimberley, Texas. I am calling up the details here. We're building the ROV to explore the underwater caves in Jacob's Well, a karst spring formation in Wimberley, Texas. Human divers have perished in the caves here, so we're hoping to send the robot down to map the caves and explore them safely. How cool. So... That's just awesome, and that, I mean that's just it's really cool. So the open uh, open ROV they got they've got like a grant from the Moore Foundation to help encourage more of the sort of citizen science, and it's a great great. I hate the term citizen science, but until we have a better name, we'll use that. So it's a really cool kind of way to you know get that out there. So this is a real thing for us now. We're committed, dude. Uh, yeah, and by the way, the 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 enthusiasm. I'm looking through everything that came into my email under weird things, and and the enthusiasm for this even outstrips maybe the uh, uh, understanding of what we were looking for. We got a couple people that were like, "Yeah, I got a truck. <laughs> I can bring it wherever you need. <laughs> I got a truck." And I'm like, "Well, where would you want to drop it and explore?" And he's like, "I don't know. You tell me, bro. Uh, you tell me, bro." <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but no, but that just means people are so into it. And that's and that's really what we want. I would rather have nine of the We Got a Truck guys uh, and and uh, more people who are really, really into it. So go ahead. Find some mysterious lakes and, and bodies of water around where you are. And, and we uh, we're going to make this happen. We, we are mm -hmm. committed to making this happen. And and if if this succeed, this is really our 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 trial. You know, we're, we're going to try and and make this happen and make it as big and awesome as possible. And then if this works, the future of weird things investigates uh, our, our expedition service is, is off and running. 
Dude, it's amazing. Like, I could just picture two years from now, we get a phone call from Hollywood. They're like, we understand you guys have been in charge of a number of high-profile investigations into the paranormal and weird. And we're like, "Uh, we can either confirm nor deny the existence of our uh, air fleet, nor our space fleet, nor our undersea fleet. (laughs) We are weird things. Or those discussions have already taken place, right? (laughs) Amazing. Uh, So... Gentlemen, speaking of really cool things that are kind of out there, a while ago, Google, you may have heard of it, little little sparky startup somewhere in California. The G-Dogs. That's how they prefer you call them. Ah, yeah. They are uh, the, the, the G-Dogs. <laughs> the G-Dogs, uh, Google, had, uh, Google realized, like, hey, listen, you know what's great? People on the internet. You know what's not so great? People not on the internet. Man, typical G-Dog behavior. They're, they're, they're like, they're like, they're, they're all like, what's up? Meet Spacey. They're like, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. What are you talking about? You're like, oh no, I'm sorry. I can't hear you over the sound of all of your biological processes happening in real time here yeah, in the physical I world. In, I loved you in seven meet Spacey. <laughs> so like, like, Google's like, Hey, there's a big part of the world that like, can't get on the internet because like, um, well, in places where they don't even have running water, you know, internet access isn't, you know, maybe the top of the list. So they were looking for innovative ways to get people online. And one of the things they thought about, and it was an approach, they have this sort of, they have this kind of a mad labs where they kind of Google X, where they come up with like uh, crazy kind of projects. And one of these is the idea of using balloons, high altitude balloons to carry internet. Put a balloon up, let's say at 100,000 feet, and you put a big Wi-Fi thing on there and you float this thing up. Maybe fill it up for 30 days, and for 30 days, this thing can provide, and it can go back and forth and raise and lower itself through the jet stream, and so it can kind of keep in position, or you can kind of move it around, because you have layers going one way, layers moving another, and if you have those well-tracked, you can keep this thing kind of over sort of one sort of region. This is their uh, Project Loon? Is that Project right? Loon, yeah. right? Right on. So when they launched this project, and this, and this came from, this is a great thing that came from uh, uh M.G. Siegler on his uh, Paris Lemon blog, when they first launched it, artic- uh, there was an article in Wired magazine where Stephen Levy, a great, great uh, writer, talked to a, one of the, uh, the, the pioneering balloonists about this project. This was the guy that worked with Richard Branson on a number of his balloon projects. This is a guy who did, did, did Richard Branson, by the way, make it all the way around the world in a balloon? That was one of his pursuits believe- for a little while, right? And so yeah. they spoke to – so Levy spoke to uh, – let me get the name of the guy. Um, spoke to one of these experts. Says, you know, so what do you, what do you think about this? What do you think about this plan to do that? And I'm going to find this. Um, the quote was uh, Peter, uh, Peter Lundstrad, known for his highly publicized forays with the entrepreneur Richard Branson. So Google said that they wanted to try to keep this thing up. You know, for try to break a hundred days, sure. And and, and this Fred is in said, relatively the same area, give or take. Yeah, Landstrad said, "Well, even keep it up in the air. No, just keep it up in the air a hundred days, right?" Landstrad said, uh, "Lindstrad said, absolutely impossible. Just talk to anybody in the scientific community. Even three weeks is very rare. So it's just impossible. They're not going to be able to do that." And of so, course, at this point, Google said, 
Impossible, you say? Well, we best not even bother to try. Yeah, you good know job, G Dogs. Let's go, G Dogs. Uh, the keg is open, and they best gave NASA up. did was fifty-five days. This guy says it's impossible. You're not gonna, you're not gonna beat thirty days even then. So, like, yeah, Google's like, all right, we give up, we give up, we're done. <laughs> did they? they shut the thing down? No, they didn't. There's no. In an alternate reality, when you hear people say that, and you say, "Well, you must be right. What's the point of daring to dream?" Yep. <laughs> so I'm guessing that they did not accept that answer of what was so, possible. The guy said they wouldn't be able to do 30 days. They did 34 days. Right on. Plus 100. 134 oh, days. Oh, shoot. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm not good at math, but I'll say 134 is almost half a year. I'm going to say it's almost uh, double 34 days, uh, the original lowest. So they have now kept one of these Wi-Fi transponding balloons aloft for 134 days. That's huge. And and is that just – that's all just efficiency of information. That's all just knowing what part of the atmosphere to be in any given time. Uh, you know, so a part of it is there are two problems that go into it. One is a materials problem. You want to have a material that keeps your your helium inside of there for as long as possible. So there's a materials problem. And then there's an information problem. There's that wind to rise, wind to lower – how to you know keep this thing at the right position? How to get it up, up when it needs to go high? How to keep it go low? And so you need you have a lot of data points. And Google has money to solve materials problem, and they have information to solve computational problems. And so, like uh, this was like their first go for it that they that they hit 134. No, I mean they've been do- they've been doing tons of balloon flights, hundreds of balloon flights. Okay, but but again, this was a a year ago. They, it, was, it was a year ago, if you talk to one of the most, the biggest expert in the world, the guy that if he had a ton of money and he wanted to do a balloon project, he would tell you it's impossible. Not, not just that it was impossible. And he's done some amazing feats, by the way. I don't want to, uh, you know, pair Lindstrad. I mean, he's done some really incredible things. He's done that. But, you know, when he says it's impossible, just ask the scientific community. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is just kind of one of those lessons, right? Where doesn't it always benefit you to just say, highly improbable and then when somebody else does something be like oh my god look how much i'm into what they're doing now i said it was highly improbable and that quantifies how amazing their achievement it's it's like you would learn you would learn to use phrases like it's unprecedented to do blank or it's i mean but then again maybe 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 you're the guy who realizes that there ain't no money in unprecedented or unlikely, that the money's all in impossible. So you're just the guy who says impossible, knowing that they'll hopefully break John that. impossible? Yeah, I, John impossible. I, I, I can only guess motivations, but I think that you, we get into a difference between when we use the terms impossible, meaning like laws of physics. Like if they said we're going to build a time machine, I would say you're, you're pretty comfortable saying impossible. If you're building faster than light, information transmission, I would say Totally feel free to say impossible because there are every 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 observable experiment we can says that ain't going to happen. Our framework, you could be wrong, but I would use impossible hesitantly. But there are cases where I would probably use impossible. Um, but when it comes to materials technology, when it comes to things like that, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that about AI and other things, teleportation even. I, I guess it just feels like. You know, somebody uh, put out a picture on Twitter of like a, a still frame from from the the Nickelodeon series Clarissa Explains It All, where they're dressed like very '90s, and the caption was, uh, "I used to think, man, 
it's really weird that the 70s and 80s people dressed so crazy and we just dressed normal like in the 90s. <laughs> and I, I just kind of feel like, I mean, there's like a momentum to culture. There's a momentum to science and technology that's hard for us. We always think like, well, we've arrived at this plateau of understanding when it, it seems like for the last, the last a hundred years ago, we look like idiots compared to now. Sure. And the evidence would seem to point that we will look like idiots compared to where we are a hundred years from now. I'll tell you though, certain things will be the same. Like right now, you know, like if you took a frame grab of how we're dressed, uh, Justin could be in just about any decade since the sixties. Sure. Sure. Basically. Yeah. Um, you know, people might wonder about maybe Brian's glasses and hat. Yeah, but uh, and also my my budding, um, uh, slightly mulletish uh, back hair. Like my hair's finally gotten long enough at the back that I, I got a little party going on back here. I mean, they'll recognize you know the flag of all nations on your shirt. <laughs> that's right, <You laughs> the know, diamond club symbol. Yeah, <laughs> that'll that'll be common. Um, you know, maybe the stupid big microphones in front of our faces might at some point seem archaic. Likely, mm-hmm. but video they, quality. But, but, too. but, but yeah, they're, when it comes to fashion, like it's hard to know. Like some things, some things kind of like stay static. Some things kind of change a lot. So, but yeah, it, it is. It is that changing the paradigm, thinking like what's beyond. What? Where can we go? What will be different? And uh, what I love is Google said, "Hey, let's do this thing." They had the money to go do it. It would have been hard, really, really, really hard. You know, if you were within NASA trying to get funding to try to launch this project or to do this thing, because it's just. They've done high altitude stuff for certain kinds of areas of research, but if you know beyond that, there's not a lot you could do. Uh, you know, I think that's cool. I, I salute that. I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm excited to see the potential. It's a crazy weird idea. Let's use balloons for internet. Well, I, how much do you think it like like the the part that bums me out? And I wonder if this is a lot of other people are in the same boat, where it's like when you hear a solution like Project Loon, the ongoing um, usable nature of it bums you out. Like, I think there's some part of us that just wants to believe that a solution can be permanent. Like a structure, when you build a tower in your imagination, you could picture that tower working forever with no maintenance costs. And it's like, it's built, it's solved, now that's a thing we have. Whereas a solution like the balloons, you know that that's an ongoing commitment. You're going to have to keep putting them up, you're going to have to right. keep administering That's a myth that. that anything else is like, if you lay fiber optic cable, you have to have a certain amount of expenditures to maintain and keep the thing going. Right. There's going to be costs to do that. And if you figure out what your costs are, if you lay fiber optic, let's say across Austin, what your costs are after that's in place for regular maintenance, regular line inspection, all these stuff, they add up. And it may be a higher cost than putting a balloon up there. I get what you're saying. You want to have that create it, forget it. Well, 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 well I, I, and I'm very aware that it's a fantasy. And I believe – I think it's a, an inherent bias that, that we all have. Like, like that's why – you know, when we think of in terms of like we want to believe like in windmills as you build it once and it makes you wind right. energy forever, you know, and it's like that's not the way it works. And and it's the same thing for data flow where it's like we want to believe that this is an infrastructure that's just, you know, whatever else happens, we got that megabits thing worked out for this area. And uh, in a, uh, a more objectively uh, temporary solution, something that implies that there's going to be more and more work to be done on it, just somehow feels less satisfying and, and makes it – it doesn't make it not the right you know, economic mm-hmm. decision. It, it, it just like at some base, basic artistic level feels less 
uh, I don't know, satisfying. And I, I, get, I think that's why people have been resistant towards ideas like this, because, you you know, the fantasy of we put this infrastructure in there and then it always works and, it, and you never you, you've, you've put it away and you forget about it, you know, is a fantasy. And I think the thing the more we think about like, oh, no, let's let's have this really cool idea that will work for the next 10 years. And then at that point, you know, we're going to use the SpaceX micro satellite array or whatever. And I think that that's that's the often we talk this is a thing on the show is we'll talk about the really cool far out thing. But there's often this really awesome thing we could do right now with just improving subtle things. Yeah. Later this week, hopefully SpaceX will try to take what looks like a conventional rocket and land it back on the ground. And it's not this scramjet, really amazing exotic rocket engine or whatever. It's, you know, you can buy a $500 drone that is an amazing piece of technology and can balance itself, et cetera. How do we play it elsewhere? By the way, Carl in the chat rightly points out that it's all fine and good to have antennas until a uh, squirrel fills them with acorns. And he linked us to uh, this video from AP Sparky on, on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, have you ever seen this before? No. How many, how many freaking acorns? We're st- I mean, we're looking at thousands and thousands of acorns hidden inside this industrial microwave uh, antenna. Like, if, if, they're, if they had designed this antenna as an acorn silo, <laughs> there would not be more acorns pouring out of this thing. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. Uh, I, mean, I mean, again, it's a bias. It's an unfair bias, and it's not a helpful bias, but it is a bias that I think a lot of us have. Do bats like acorns? <laughs> Do bats like acorns? They're going to bring the loon. The loons keep sinking because bats start stowing <laughs> things on them. <laughs> now I'm going to change tact. We're going to go into another little topic, which is kind of cool. Um, I think it's cool. So on board, a, uh, your, the USA wants to test this on board the, uh, I believe, the International Space Station. And what it is, it's a robotic hand, right? Right. That would be a it looks like a you know kind of a really cool you know art you know model of the human hand. And you put it. Imagine if you put this on the International Space Station. Okay. And on the Earth side, you had a glove you slid your hand into that you could control the hand from, and you could get haptic feedback from that hand. So this is like an external appendage to the International Space Station. Uh, which, by the way, didn't they didn't they announce a big name change? They they proclaimed it was going to be called Alpha, and the whole world was like lame, and nobody's called it Space Station Alpha since. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember. Yeah, you, you don't remember that? I I, I Space Station Alpha. I'm I'm going to Google it for you. I can't believe I, I'm the only one who. Uh... So Justin, what they're doing Damn is it. they want to build a robotic hand. They yeah. would go on board it, and then on Earth, you'd put your hand into a glove, and you could control this thing, which has practical implications because then you could conduct experiments while being on Earth and yet control some sort of robot avatar on the space station and have the I, sensation that you were there. So you – all right. So is, is this right now being looked at as just ways that we could maybe – uh, you know, we could put a lot of stuff up in space and, and have people conduct experiments so it's not just the astronauts and we're not just limited by how much the astronauts that are up there can do? Absolutely. Now, one of the things when you put astronauts up in space, like their duty cycle is really not – there's like – I think they're good for like three or four hours of day that you can get like practical sort of work out of them before the fatigue and everything else weighs in on them and it makes it – get, people get sloppy. They get space crazy. 
So yeah. you have this problem of it's great to put people up there, but you have a limited work cycle. Yet if you have a really cool autonomous, you have a really cool robot that's controlled from the ground where you can put this, you know, put on the Oculus Rift, put your hands into the gloves, and you can go in there and do your little experiments. It's a great way for you to be working in space, but being on Earth. Wow. So, I mean, I guess that's that really is kind of the best of both worlds whenever we talk about the difference between manned space exploration and robot space exploration that, you know, this is using what we have charted out uh, in, in humanity to set up as only kind of we can uh, and then harnessing the, the manpower of Earth by way of this technology. Yeah, I mean, this is great for low Earth orbit because the delay would not be noticeable. Beyond that, when you start talking about even like dealing with something on the moon, trying to control it like that would be a pain. Well, and, and that was my question was like, how big of a lag are we looking at? Because even when it comes to, especially in a kind of tactile, you know, experience, a, a, a 200 to 400 millisecond lag is noticeable. Like, uh, like mm-hmm. even when you're playing a first-person shooter game, I, I got to imagine... I mean, maybe maybe you could have control without lag, like for the brief moments it's right overhead. But once it's on the far side of the planet, you got to be looking at like a half second of lag, right? Um, no, you're not. Gonna, you're going to be at other side of the planet, assuming if you're going around. Um, lights travels 186,000 miles per second. The furthest distance you're going to be at any given point, assuming good connections, is going to be 11,000 miles. So. Your and you figure out like the distance it takes from your, your signal to go from your brain to the extent of your hand. You know, it could be the difference between being you know five foot tall and six foot tall. Uh, okay, all right. Um, I'm making that part up, but it'd be like if you look at like nerve conduction rate. Yeah, no, well, um, and I understand by the by in theory all of that should be short enough by the speed of light and so on. But it's like uh, I guess I'm thinking just in terms from gameplay. You know, when you're when you're up against a server, you know, you're playing, I don't know, Counter-Strike or whatever, because it's 2004 uh, and uh, uh, you got somebody from Singapore. You're going to have upwards of a half second to a second of lag, a, a thousand milliseconds. But yeah, but, and, but but again, you're, internet. you're two players trying to go and trying to sync these things back and forth, too. And I, I get and that's also, you know, what's going to be is how big difference would this sensation be than putting your hand into a thick glove? Right. You know, um, uh, by the so, way, by the way, if you Google Space Station Alpha, you'll find a number of references like people just calling the International Space Station Space Station Alpha. Like for whatever reason, I remember it being a big announcement back in the day and then it just didn't take. Like nobody yeah. nobody calls it Space Station Alpha and it's like uh it's like somebody made up a badass nickname for themselves and then none of their friends called them by that. <laughs> Yeah, I'd never heard wolf that. Wolf breath now. Yeah, yeah. I'm wolf breath. Hey man, don't call me don't call me Jones. I'm wolf breath. So anyhow, point is, for low Earth orbit, probably this is a practical kind of experience kind of thing. You get a sensation that, look what I'm doing. I'm doing these experiments. I'm doing that sort of thing. So now you have telepresence for space travel. Man, I'll tell you what. That telepresence thing is going to fundamentally alter our perception of what it means and the usefulness of actually sending astronauts anywhere. Because on the face of it, actually sending human beings to dangerous places is dumb. It's dumb, it's wasteful, it's expensive, and it doesn't get us anything more than the feel-good experience of, of oh, we moved our meat from A to B or whatever. Like, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, I, I'm telling you this much. Okay. However awesome it feels... had a disagreement on this. Uh, however awesome it feels to uh, imagine a person setting foot on Mars 
you could get 90% of that awesomeness at 40% the cost by having a human in orbit around Mars uh, wearing a robot suit that gives him the the haptic feeling of stepping on Mars. Like I, I don't understand the belief that, that we need to physically move our stupid meat anywhere. Our meat is stupid, and it's not like our meat's going to explore the universe. It's going to be our children. It's going to be our robotic children that do it. Yeah, um, whatever Michael Meaton from Batman and <laughs> Michael Juice. So um, we would not have gotten the information we got out of the Apollo mission if it had been completely unmanned. Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes at the time. I mean, yeah, there will be a loss of fidelity. However, if it had been unmanned, we could have done 10 Apollo missions for the same cost. So, so it's, it's not a fair thing to say we wouldn't have gotten the same information out uh, because that's not what – we would have had more resources to do more missions if we hadn't bothered to spend stupid humans. But I would say that technologically speaking, given at that time, you know, we – to be able to send people out there, give guys little rock hammers, go in there and kind of do the stuff they did, we, we – the, the technology was not – I mean you're, when you were dealing with – you know, when the entire Apollo spacecraft had you know, a calculator basically for a brain – you know, you were not going to be able to do the level of sort of investigation, looking for rocks, doing that kind of stuff in the time span or whatever that you did without human astronauts. That's correct. But you could do 10 times as many experiments, 10 times as many missions without the, the yeah, but bizarre you, restrictions of sending. Able to, let's say split open a rock or get to the good stuff. I mean, that's things like you could do. You could still have this sort of surface thing, but you were never going to be able to get these certain kinds of things of having a physical body that's present, that's capable of doing certain physical things there. Uh, I mean, you could make a case for that in the 1960s. I don't think you could make a case for it nowadays. So I'll like, give you. We'll, we'll we'll move that up to the case. And and again, yeah. I'm 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 playing devil's advocate all over the place. I'm I'm a big you know, big believer in robot exploration. But I will say, like you know, if I were to take the counterpoint, don't qualify you take the Mars, this nerd fight. Take, <laughs> take the Mars and we are going palms out. <laughs> you take you take the Mars rover thing because of because of the delay because of the lag. We've seen interesting rock. It takes us, you know, it take, we have to plan a mission to go to go inspect a rock over like a week. Sure, but but when you have uh, ten different sites running simultaneously, because you're able to free up so much budget, because you're not worried about the the difficulties of of you know moving a a uh, highly sensitive chemosynthetic bag of water from point A to point B. Um, then, then you can afford to be like, hey, that's an interesting rock. We'll get to that in two months. Here's another interesting rock, and there's 12 more interesting rocks because we diversified and we have robots doing the job. Um, but again, the point is, is that you can, you still then you, you're, you're increasing the number of people you have, you know, trying to overcome this. But if you can, if you can figure out how to safely, you know, reasonably, if you figure out how to just put a body on Mars, then you have this 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 thing that knows how to use all the tools we know how to use and go through a bunch of do a bunch of different stuff. You can get a lot of different kinds of science done. Eventually, robotics will get to the point where that would seem un, you know you'd seem like no, we'll just send a robot. I totally believe I totally believe we'll get to that point. You know, but right now you can't. You know, I can't even get a robot to wash my goddamn dishes. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you robots. You you say that, and yet we've been using dishwashers for forty years. I mean, and and they work well enough. And granted, who loads it? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, okay, here, Brian. I think you've you've hit on the the key element of that. It, it is well enough, and whether or not it is your your argument, and, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong, is that the volume of well enough will get us 
to where we need to go faster than the the uh, the risk and the price of, of of a human that we could we could all agree might do a better job if it's there, but it will always be more dangerous. It will always come with human emotional complications. I mean, it's like listen, how many how many uh, how many dragon capsules have we sent up that could carry a human? A bunch, right? Sure, sure. How many have we? How, how many humans have actually gone up with SpaceX? Zero. Why? Because if one human dies, SpaceX is like uh, totally uh, sets themselves back years compared to if they have things, uh, you know, go right. They got to make sure that every step is proven to be correct. And the biggest is is humanity. So beyond even what what that what that cost is, the idea that there is a, a ability to have work done through robotics before it would make sense to send a human. Uh, is 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 huge. However, I think I'm kind of on Andrew's side, where it's like, at the end of the day, that we are only as good as where humanity, with its own fist, puts an outpost. You know, that is the mark of our exploration is where we go, uh, and and that will always be the premium in my mind. Yeah, I, I, I like if we're not working towards putting people on Mars at some point, I'm like then trying to investigate Mars. And my point is a waste of money. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I'm in favor of moving our meat there eventually. But but right now there are fundamental questions we need to answer about Mars and the method of of accumulating that information. If I am if I am in charge of a budget and I could send 10 robotic missions to Mars to try to answer that question, or I could send one mission that is, you know, all our eggs in one basket and, and, and with the caveat that also we have to bring their meat back at the end of it. Like, I, I, I don't know that I would invest it that way. It seems and I like would say this, at the present technology, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, here, I, would, I got a question about Mars. Yeah. Does it smell? Because if we're going to go up there, you ever like you, you go on a real estate listing, you find a really nice house, you roll up on it, and you're like, oh, my God, I, I'll buy this site unseen. Next thing you know, it's next to a landfill. That smells like garbage. I'm going to live here the rest of my life. Dude, or even, <laughs> even worse, like, like you move in after you bought Mars, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, 3 o'clock, giant train rolls by, and you're like, son of a bitch. There's what a the train hell? rolling by every day at 3 p.m. Are you kidding so, me? I, Tell I, you I was, that? Robot going to tell you about how it stinks like a bunch of fish uh, made love to an egg? Huh? So I had, a, I had a neat conversation with somebody who was actually one of the original venture capitalists behind SpaceX. We're talking about space and stuff. And then he says, so, so when do you plan to go to space? I said, I, I, I don't. <laughs> and he says, what are you, chicken? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, like, me and my G-dogs, we're ready to go up now. Let me make it clear. Like, just so people understand, like, I, I'm, I think the Mars One whole project is just ridiculous and silly and amateurish and run by people who, who I, I don't even know if I'd go eat at their restaurant. Um, you know, when they watched their first video of like, oh, we want to go explore Mars. And like, well, we can't figure out how to get this chroma key to work. But look. It's like, listen, guys, that's adorable that you're excited. What's your plan to get there? Um, we're going to hire SpaceX to take us there. <laughs> I mean, I'll, well, I, I, I'll tell you what, you, you, you laugh, but, but if SpaceX does 
what uh, what Bill Gates did for computing. In other words, make it easy, make it simple, make it ubiquitous. Mars they, One ain't going to be their first passengers. I can tell you that. Well, but, well, but 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 that's just it. It's like you can roll their eyes. Like imagine the same thing in the world of computing, where it's like we want to make a, a, a virtual reality world. Uh, do you know anything about computers? Like no, we don't. You like do you know how to program? No, we don't. We expect that in the next twenty years. Personal computing will be so ubiquitous and easy that we'll be able to make Second Life in the future. And you'd be, you would laugh at them, but then they would have been right because well, that's, no, that's what happens. I'd be like, look at all these other more credible people who are planning yeah. to do this and who have uh, actually dude, done no, the I, I, I ain't in the business of 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 uh, bashing on the uh, the the crazy dreamers because uh, because too many of them have have been our heroes on this podcast. I, I'm when the, the crazy dreamers like pay this application fee and we'll put you on the list to go there. And we're going to fill you with a little bit of false hope. I'm, I'm not so much into that. To me, I, that, that's like, hey, guys. I, my problem with Mars One is that it's not the, the goal. I, I can't personally cotton to the goal of congratulations, uh, idealistic space fans. Uh, we want to make a reality show out of your suicide mission. So sign up. So we can we can make we can profit on the entertainment value of you dying on Mars. I'm okay with a hundred percent of everything I've heard with Mars One. I'm okay with the idealistic uh, 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 dig a little optimism. deeper, Brian. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, look, look, look. I mean, th- there's no shortage of reasons to deride them, and and but but I'm not going to engage in that because uh, I I do believe that they mean it. I do believe they're trying for it, and I do believe they're going for it. And that to me is they're, the beginning and the end yep, of the conversation. Brian's endorsement of Scientology. <laughs> I mean, it's a, a, a look, man. Um, if you believe in the free marketplace of ideas, you believe there's a place for the nut jobs. And yes, Mars one is definitely a set of nut jobs and they're very likely wrong. However, they are participating in an engine that I believe benefits all of mankind. And in that regard, I'm glad they're playing the game. I all think right. they're exploiting I'm- people's enthusiasm for Mars. I think from what I've seen in the fact of like paying for this applications and charging people to do this sort of thing, I think it's, I think it's exploiting. It's, it's to me, it's, it's does a disservice to, you know, that in my opinion, from what I've seen. Justin. Uh, I think everybody should go to patreon.com slash weird things uh, where we never take advantage of you for this podcast. Everybody head on over there. Uh, we are uh, we're, we're you know, it's it's how we're we're starting to uh, we're creeping up, man. We're 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 like beginning stuff. our inexorable march towards a thousand dollars an episode, which is what we need to make this a uh, a solvent operation that runs full steam all the time. Well, and also it's like, listen, if you guys like this idea of of, of us putting stuff in, in the ocean and in the air and, and uh, exploring all sorts of crazy, wild uh, stories that we talk about on this show that maybe, uh, you know, quote unquote, legitimate people don't want to spend their time on. Well, we do. And we know you do, too. And that's why, you know, if you're down with that, head on over to Weird Things, uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash weird things. And if you got some scratch, throw a couple bones our way. Yeah. So, to sum up, Super Pro Mars, Super Pro Mars exploration. <laughs> you know, I, and I guess for me, it's like when I work for work for the JREF, you'd get all these proposals for like uh, perpetual motion machines and things like that, and free energy devices and stuff. And you go like, well, the intent is there, and then you look at like, but these people. 
one, it's not going to work. But two, these people aren't going to be able to do it. And it, it's like I get my let's take somebody's dream and then go like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. I mean, I, I again, um, um, being, being, being I mean, skeptical I mean, uh, of them is not skeptical okay. of the overall dream. First of all, I, I totally, totally get where you're coming from insofar as like, you know, it's a big bummer. Agents, agents who promise things that they may or may not be able to deliver. And uh, but the world also. Uh, in just about every institution has agents whose job is to promise things, and sometimes they can deliver, sometimes they can't. And, ah, and Minus the charging the application fee. Minus like, hey, pay us because we're, gonna, we're presenting to you. We're going to be the credible way to get there. We're going to charge you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put a little tax. That's my issue. The agent that asks you to pay up front is a scam. The agent that asks you to says, pay me, and I'll find this. These people are like, hey, here's, here's an application fee that's as much as like 75 bucks. To apply for, let's be honest, you know, a group that in likelihood never going to go to planet. Yeah, but by that logic, then you got to be down on Tesla because they're charging five thousand dollars for the privilege of making it a list to maybe get a Tesla X when it comes out. And if they don't deliver, you get your money back. Well, uh, uh, okay, yeah, all right, that yeah, that's a substantial difference. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, I, I I don't know where the line is, and and I I would understand it i'd be on you could probably convince me that mars mars one is over the line in some regards but but i will say that in general uh man how do we get on mars one because the original point of distinction was like i i want more robots going to mars uh because that's a more efficient return on investment for our money over the line <laughs> mark zero dude Anybody I, give up? Hoop about the I, I rules, was, but it, me. We brought it because for me to explain my enthusiasm of one area, but why skepticism of another. The idea that I'm I'm pro space, but I also don't think that like right now, realistically, we know how to get there, how to do it, or whatever. So I'm like, let's keep sending robots right now. That's my thing, you know. And for I, I believe Elon Musk's you know range of prediction more than anybody else's because. Well, because, uh, because quite frankly, he's batting a thousand right now on his predictions of what yes. he thinks he could do. Yeah. Can somebody get a refund on a Mars One application? Has anybody tried to get a refund? Oh, like, my God. Ah, you know what? I talked to the wife. Turns out she's not down with me dying on Mars well, without the kids. Oh, so, dude. Uh, okay. Somebody. Okay. Right now, Weird Things listeners, if you don't want to sign up on our Patreon, you can make your contribution to the Weird Things experience by signing up for Mars One and then trying to get a refund. Start a blog. My, uh, document the entire experience and let us talk about it. I guess my second my second crit is like how they want to fund it. Oh, we'll fund it, it could, like reality TV. Working in reality TV, I can tell you what the budgets are. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yes to reality television. But but what if what if they're very aware that it's not reality television is the model, but instead. The model is a, you know, they're aware that they will have electrified the entire, you know, uh, populace of, of the of the earth to pay attention to their blog, their Twitter, their blah, 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 blah. Like, like if you, if somebody genuinely today was leaving and becoming the first pilgrim to Mars to die there, uh, the entire world is going to listen to everything they say. And that's, that's a substantial marketable uh, position to be in. I think there is certainly a, a audience for that. I think there's an advertising opportunity for it. Would it be the hundred billion dollars that you know the current estimate for a mission there would be? Not. I'm going to present to you two proposals, Brian. Okay. Proposal one: Do you want to put a thousand dollars into SpaceX's Mars exploration program? <laughs> yeah, all right. 
Proposal two, Mars one. Well, and again, and again, I, I, I don't know how I got into the position of defending Mars one, but uh, was I, I disagree. You're behind it all, Brian. I it's dis- yours, isn't I it? disagree with Mars one's ability to pull through with it. However, I wholeheartedly support their they're going for that brass ring. That's that's where I'm at right now. Like I personally would not back it. I would not invest in it. I would probably say it's a fool's errand in a bad game. However, I would absolutely high five them for going for it. That's that's where I'm at. I I I I high five the enthusiasm too. I I, <laughs> I think there might be better ways that could be less the less in certain areas of research, it's hard to raise money because you've had people go out there who did not know what they were doing and then blow a bunch of investor capital. And then you go in there and then you've got to clean up or explain away what happened before. No, 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 we're not those people. And that's, that, that is a concern. That being said, and I may be totally wrong, and Mars One has my complete apologies for the sincerity of whatever they're doing. I could be totally off base on that. So let me make that very clear. I mean, I guess, I guess your case is there. wearing a scams uniform. Uh, well, okay. I, uh, I, mean, I don't think it's a scam. I think it's just not fought through. Well, well, they're certainly nut jobs, right? And but to me, like that is the part of the healthy progression in any fringe frontier is that there's always scammers trying to overhype stuff. You know, we we saw it. We saw it in the American West. We saw it in China. We saw it. You know, with any other place. And to me, it's like the mere fact, like, oh, good, the scammers are here. Everything's going according to schedule. Like, like, I, yes, it's it's so part of this game. Before, but before we get penicillin, somebody has to sell snake oil. Yes, that's exactly where I'm at. And, and so my, I, no my is like, I remember, like, it's like in the when we were working in the skeptic world, you talk about somebody walks in there and shows you this piece of paper, and on it is driv- is a drawing of some elaborate machine, and you go, "What is it? It's a perpetual motion machine." All right, I'll hear you out. Can you build it? Oh no, this is it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, wait, wait. The thing on the paper is. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Look, look. There's going to be nut jobs no matter what. I'm just glad that the nut jobs are finally. Uh, let me put it this way: the nut jobs tend to. Uh, conglomerate right around where the next big frontier is, and if the nut jobs are gathering, I'm thrilled because it means hey, listen, guess Pan what? Pan was selling tickets to the moon back in the '60s. How'd that pan out? Uh, well, we went to the moon. Like, nah. did Pan Am take us there? What, no, but did we those went. Tickets the, pan out. We went to the moon within a decade of those oh, tickets being sold. Sexier stewardesses than NASA provided. True that. Sausage fest. <laughs> um. Gentlemen, I'm going to propose to you uh, the question, taking this a step further. Um, I was looking up, by the way, the Pan Am moon flight thing to find out when did they (laughs) offer those. Uh, Uh, Let's see. Pan Am tickets to... If you just type in tickets, it pops up with a... There you go. Uh, There's an article from BackstoryRadio.org, Pan Am and the waiting list for the moon says here it's Christmas Eve 1968 uh, and people had set, set foot on the moon. Oh, my God. First moon's fight, moon flights club. Flights club. $20 deposit. First rule of flights club is you don't talk about flights club. Uh, fares are not fully resolved and may be out of this world. Uh, wow. In August 1964, Pan Am accepted the reservation of Gerhard Pistor, journalist from Vienna, Austria, as the number one for future flights to the moon. 
He paid a deposit of $20. About 93,000 people followed on the Pan Am waiting list called First Moon Flights Club. I mean, so your point is they're dumb for having tried it or people are dumb <laughs> I, for having I, given them money or what? I, I my, my point is, is that there's uh, uh, almost two million dollars went to a company that was not doing anything towards getting you towards the moon. And that company out of that company ain't taking people to Toledo now. Yeah, but uh, I, 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 what year was this? 1968, so shortly after the first moon landing. Shortly before. Yeah. Moon of 69. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's it. So my Record, point is that uh, $20. if it was like, hey, hey, let's have a waiting list. You know, no fee, just a waiting list. I'm cool with that. People, like, people uh, are saying, oh, it was only $20. $20 in 1968 is the equivalent of $136.46 in today's economy. Uh, yeah, well, and then, I mean, I, are, are you also going to take a dump on the guys who are selling off real estate on the moon uh, or the guys who <laughs> yes. are doing the, the international star re- registry? Yeah, I think that's shady. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I mean, you could think that. I, I, I think that. Um, I do think that. Okay. You, you, you can and do. Uh, Brian, what is what is your, I mean, and just, and, and I don't want to, this, Shouldn't be a pedantic back and forth. So just, you know, uh, your Justin, your... that's our show. Okay. I know. I, but we have just, we have, we've kind of gone around this maypole uh, a couple times. And, and believe you me, we don't want to burn this argument out because this has been about 15% of our show <laughs> since yes. the very, very beginning. Is this argument in specific? But, uh, Brian, your argument for, for this is that it, it, if they are selling it for, what it would reasonably cost to be keep clerical records of who would own what part of the moon and, and the stars, then that is at least worth some kind of money, even if it doesn't exactly translate into physical property rights. Yeah, I, I yeah, I would agree with that. And, and to be honest, like I think of it more in terms of if you, you ever play Sid Meier's Civilization, uh, there are some not great aspects that come with different civilizations hitting different levels, you know, uh, and uh, for example, um, uh, this isn't in the game civilization, but like, like once you reach a certain level, uh, slavery tends to show up in every single thing. Now, slavery is not a great thing. However, it is an indicator of the particular socioeconomic health of a civilization to reach the level where it achieves slavery is unlocked. Uh, later on, you know, same thing with like, um, uh, environmental waste, you know, once you get, while you're below a thousand dollars per year, uh, of every citizen uh, per capita, you know, per capita income, uh, uh, you tend to trash the air and the water. Then once you get above a thousand dollars, then you uh, the society as a whole tends to spend money and and get on there. To me, all of this stuff, all of this shady side stuff, you know, the selling of stars or real estate on the moon or of one way tickets to Mars or whatever, that is what happens. That's the opening unlock uh, of a progression towards. Uh, uh, an interstellar or, you know, I don't know, intrasolar society. And then, uh, and then the door will close much like with uh, environmental trashing or with, uh, or, or with slavery. So it's like, yes, no, uh, scammers aren't great, 
but it's great that we're at the point that we've attracted all the scammers. And then we're going to close the door on the scammers on the other side of this. Um, I'm nothing but excited about all of this. We can get, you know, we get bet out of shape about like, oh, those scammers. But it's like there's always been scammers. There's always going to be scammers. To me, let's be more excited about the fact that we have hit the unlock of hitting a level of proximity to this, that it finally attracts scammers to try to make a buck off of it. I, I And I guess for me, morally, as a person, it in is not as a person watching the outside but in this if i see that i think that is a scam or suspicious i think morally i should point that out and say hey this is a scam i think for me to well and and andrew you you come from a very specific uh you know set of experiences on this i am a scam artist that is true uh you know where i I know for for example like like yuri geller right yuri geller is somebody who uh has a very well documented past uh for which you got a front row seat working with uh, Randy, even though you were you were working with him after a lot of the heyday of of, of the seventies uh, and eighties had kind of come and gone. However, now as Yuri Geller has moved on in life and now distances him, uh, distances himself from some of the posturing that he had taken, uh, you know, back in the day, and wants to make fashion himself a, a magician more now, appearing at magic conventions. Except he still says it's real. He doesn't he says it's real. real. Okay, I, and I'm not. I'm just saying that his outward. He is now more willing than he seemed to be in the past to let himself be understood as something while still maintaining that he is a- another thing. Uh, some have come around to say, ah, well, you know, he's just keeping this kayfabe, uh, but really he knows that he's a magician and we can just understand him as that. Where you've seen stuff and you've seen that there is just a moral point for which you say, no, you're – you did some really shady stuff. You have not recanted and said that this stuff was shady. You still uh, maintain that, you know, like uh, amongst all the double talk that this is stuff that's real. I can't come around on this. I can't say that you are a different person. And, and I can't say that like, oh, oh, well, now he's just, uh, you know, uh, semi-reforming or whatever. He still is this guy. And I think that that's what I'm seeing with, with where Brian's, uh, like, I, I totally understand. You're like, hey, look, there's a larger point to all of this. And, you know, yeah, I can say in a vacuum these guys might be screwed up, but I'm not going to let that bother me because the larger point bothers. Uh, you know, the, the, the larger point is what matters to me. Andrew's like, no, but listen, we can agree that this larger stuff is happening, and that's rad, but, like, where's our moral center if we're if we don't say – yeah, but that guy's also a, a cheating you out of money because you're excited about it. I mean, it's, it's plus also it's like um, uh, historically, I mean, how much glee do we all get from reading quotes like nobody will need more than 640 K of Ram, you know, uh, doing this would be impossible or whatever. It's like uh, uh, we have spent most of our adult life uh, just just skinny dipping in schadenfreude for the proclamations of people about other people's ideas. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Yes. I will be the first to admit that Mars one is highly unlikely to pay off. However, I don't know that they are beginning this venture with the intent of defrauding people. For all I know, they really do want to go and they really, I, I, know, do, I don't, I don't think it's an intent to defraud at all. I, I, I think that it's, Again, it, it's a it's a very amateur way to do this. 
I think that my point is it's not an original idea. It's not an idea at all. The original, there's not an original idea to them other than a way to try to capitalize on the enthusiasm is the only thing novel there. I mean, that's fine. Uh, I, like, uh, th- there, there was nothing original about the X Prize. It was clearly just a ripoff of the flight but, across but they the, had the Atlantic Ocean. They had the money and the wherewithal to back it up. They had the money to go out there and say, "We will, we will, if you do this, we will put this there." That's the what I'm saying they, here is. I mean, they, these they, people they, have no technical did, skill. They did they by the time their, that they the secured the money to try to do any real research into what they're doing. If like, no, this won't work. That's my problem. Is no, there's no, no, not no, no, even no, okay. this. It is you, sold you, as a religious you're, thing. You're cherry, you're cherry picking because you're picking the end of their journey and saying they had the money, they had the backing. They didn't have the money when they started the idea. And if you read Abundance, it's clear that it's just a couple of guys on the side saying, "Like, I bet we could get the money." And then they went around fishing for it. And likewise, that's exactly what the Mars One people are doing. And again, you know, I'm not saying that they are as qualified or as as smart an investment as the the X Prize, but but it's not a fair assessment to say they don't have, you know they don't have the backing, therefore they're frauds or whatever. Brian, well, that's you're you're creating a straw man there. My point is that there are basic things you could say, like what is the realistic way to go about doing this? Okay. We don't know. There were so many unanswered questions there. My, my, first, my first problem is the idea of the paying the admission fee to go do this kind of thing. The business plan approach towards it, which to me, I will say, I think is extremely unrealistic and, and, and silly. Um, that's my point. I mean, uh, may, maybe so, but I, I know this much. I'm not in the business of, of telling other people what they can and can't achieve. And yes, they, are, they, they have a ridiculous plan but uh, but but does that mean that they shouldn't go for it? No, I, I think they should I think go they for should it. Do whatever they and, want. And I, if anyone morally, wants to throw twenty dollars at it or whatever, morally, the as a person fee. who follows this, if I'm if, if I'm offered if I'm asked to offer my opinion about this to other people, I will say, hey, I don't think this is the best way to go about it because I take responsibility for that. I take responsibility when I have a position to offer a point of view on that. That's it. I care. I want people to know, like. Hey, Mars is exciting. It's great. I don't think these people are going to get us there. And I think that it may be a hindrance in some way to more support we give them. That's my moral position on that. Right on. Fair enough. Uh, also, apparently the application fee for Mars One varies from $5 US to $75 US, depending on the relative wealth of the applicant's country. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, like if you come from uh, from uh, uh, Colombia, you're going to spend five dollars. But if you come from the United States, you'll spend seventy five dollars. Uh, I mean, I, I I would assume that that would that would be where it would. There was a there was a Time dot com article talking about how uh, international flights go for different amounts depending on where you're booking from, and uh, they were able to book flight from like uh, Bangkok to. Cairo or I don't know, whatever it was, uh, like when they booked it from Columbia, they were able to get it for like half the cost, uh, as long as they didn't mind doing the exchange rates, uh, in order to get there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, that's interesting. So you just go through a proxy and, right. and, 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 and then, and then you, you, you'll have to pay like the 3%, you know, fee for exchanging to whatever the Colombian unit of currency is. Hmm. News you can use. <laughs> Gentlemen, should we move to picks? We should. Hells yeah. Dude, I got mine. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same as yours, Andrew. Uh, maybe, maybe we could get back to both agreeing at the same time. Because I don't know how far you are into Peter F. Hamilton's The Abyss Beyond Dreams. But holy cow, 
it has me so stoked about the Commonwealth universe and the Commonwealth saga that it's like I'm seriously fighting the urge to go back and re-listen from the beginning to Pandora's Star. Uh, out of all of them, I feel like Abyss Beyond Dreams gets right to the point, gets right to the action, sets up stuff, uh, moves quickly, especially if you're already familiar with the universe. Uh, love it. I am deeply in love with this fusion of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, uh, basically, it's a fantasy novel wrapped up in a, a hardcore science fiction novel uh, where there exists an alien artifact, a universe uh, within a universe that uh, gives a reason for why stuff like telekinesis and ESP could be possible and why somebody would construct such a thing. Uh, deeply, deeply loved it. It's only the first book in this new trilogy. I'm stoked. What about you? Um, I'm, I apologize profusely. I just want to give one thing, <laughs> clarification about Mars One. Okay, all right. And that is, just sort of listeners who are not familiar, that the idea is it's a one-way mission. They send you there, and that's it. You have to live on Mars the rest of your life, and they have to keep resupplying you, et cetera. That is point of clarification. Just want to make that clear. It's not a return mission. It's we send you there and goodbye. All right. Uh, Brian, uh, what was the name of the book again? The Abyss Beyond uh, Dreams. Abyss Beyond Dreams by Peter F. Hamilton. And people have talk about Judas Unchained and uh, Pandora's Star. Uh, yeah, Pandora Star, Judas Unchained, and the entire Void trilogy. Uh, I was surprised to hear that Andrew didn't finish the Void trilogy. I liked it quite a bit, but uh, but I guess it was a bit heady or a bit uh, deep for you. I don't know if it was a bit deep for me. Or just um, tedious, I guess, would be the word. It, 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 it's like, I, like, listen, I love Peter Hamilton. I mean, I, 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 but sometimes the things just keep going on and on. And, and there are people who love those kind of world building stories, you know, and that's, and I, and, and no fault of that. Like, you know, that's a thing where, you know, I know what, what I like and what I don't like and what I don't like other people might love. And right. so, um, the yeah the the dreaming void just just for me was just was a very 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 long book i couldn't finish great northern road same thing but yeah, I, I i never start. finished i did not finish the great north road and i feel bad about that uh everything else he re he's written that i i have finished yeah pandora star juice and chain love 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 and again i i it, I, through no fault of Peter of Hamilton, I'll put it that way, but sometimes these books just get to be so long that I'm like, nah, I kind of want a tighter narrative. But anyhow, um, I'm enjoying it very much so far, very much enjoying uh, this. But my pick is going to be something different. What? My pick is I've been uh, fascinated lately by very, very, very short-form content, by things that are not at all very long, like, I've been playing around with the Cartoon Network Anything app, which is kind of cool. It's basically 20 seconds or less content. And looking for other thing, forms of content where you can get a story across in a very, very, very short amount of time, I came across a, a short film. And it's interesting because there's a couple versions of this short, this short film because somebody on Reddit – I guess was the earliest case. Somebody said, hey, come up with a two-sentence horror film, horror, horror story, a two-sentence horror story. And somebody suggested this, and there have been a couple versions of this, and then accusations that so-and-so ripped somebody off or back and forth or whatever. I don't know. But anyhow. For two sentences. That's amazing. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a poignant two sentences, though. So anyhow, uh, I have a pick, and, and it's better that people just have the experience of watching it, and it's called Tuck Me In. 
if you type in, let me see if I can, if we just type in, tuck me in. Uh, I see a YouTube video. Yep, that's it. That's it. So we, I don't want to spoil anything for here because the audio would totally ruin it. But it is the actual short film is 38 seconds. Have you wow. seen this yet? No, it, it looks like the entire video is a minute long on YouTube. So I assume yep. there's credits at the end. I, so, as I'm talking right now, I'm 10 seconds in and I am seeing it without audio. I don't know. How no, 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 Brian, start over. Start over. You're ruining it. Okay. You, you, start you it over. Play, play the audio. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause. Tell everybody, don't pause right now. Pause right now. Yeah. Pause. Seriously. Even if you're driving. <laughs> Press pause. All right. Pull over. Pull over, folks. All right. Yeah. You want me to hit play on this? Uh, no, I don't want you to play it on. I don't want you to play it on here. I want you just to watch it and then give your reaction because I don't want to because there are people who are still listening. Okay. Well, here. <laughs> you talk to the... I'm, I'm going to talk. I'm looking at the... Bedtime, Alex. Is the audio the audio is playing? Wait, too here. I mean, am I supposed to watch it? What's yeah, the hell's going I, I, yeah, on? Yeah, I don't know. You're supposed to watch this thing. Can't you guys do anything? Well, I, I don't know how to play it and not have the audio. I don't know how to play it with audio and not have them hear the audio. We can you quiet? Is your audio go through your mic or? Does yeah, you no, go, everything you goes through the, the board. Audio through the board. Yeah. So. All right. So what we're gonna do is look. Can we cut out this section? Of the- <laughs> In the final version. <laughs> I mean, here, uh, if, if you want, I will watch it on my cell phone right now. How yeah, about I'll that? I'll watch it on my phone. Okay, look, look, you... you no matter have... what, this is going to be really not interesting, like, to, to listen to. No, 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 it's, it's going to be great. Uh, Andrew's going to talk to you guys for a minute. Me and Justin are going to watch Tuck Me In. We're typing in Tuck Me In in our cell phone browsers. And uh, you have the floor, Andrew, for the next uh, 38 seconds... While uh, Justin and I watch this. So different areas of content are fascinating. You have Twitter. You have 140 characters to try to communicate. It's worked effectively well. Instagram, send a photo, not just a selfie, what you're up to, what you've been doing. The idea that you get to express something with a large canvas is, of course, inviting. But the idea of trying to express something with a very, very short amount of time is really, really, really challenging. And that's what I love about this, what was accomplished with this little short film. As you think about that, can you tell a short story in under a minute? If you can do that, that's really poignant and that's gifted. That's a talent. And that's what I'm looking for more examples of. If you can find really cool content that's a minute or less that's like this, hit me up on Twitter. I want to know. I want to see this kind of thing. Now... Brian should be about finished. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude. I remember reading that line on Reddit. That that really is a great uh, two-line <laughs> uh, horror story. Uh, very well executed on the video. Definitely. Uh, d- nobody say nothing. Just nobody uh, say Everybody nothing. just Google, tuck me in, and just watch it real quick. It's the best 38 seconds you'll spend today. Holy cow. Was that worth it? Oh, totally. Totally. Okay. Totally. Worth it. It was good. It's like, you know, when you're, you're, you're telling people like, oh, hey, go check this thing out. Go check this thing. I'm like, man, yeah, like, oh, there's this guy who did a review of The Phantom Menace. It's, it's almost as long as The Phantom Menace. Like, <laughs> oh, this is 38 on. seconds, man. You can afford it. Go for it. Uh, and also it's like, oh, how creepy can it get? And then it's like, oh, wait, this got really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, good pick. Good pick. What about you, it's Justin? And I, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil any element of it, but you are kind of expecting a certain 
there's a certain language, especially horror films, I've kind of mind on how to go from zero to 60, you know, and, and uh, this does not use any of those tropes. It is uh, it is all all in the, the, the written word as presented in the visual language of film. What what I like is sort of the reaction we're seeing in a little chat section here because now it's like the oh <laughs> um, that is a beautiful 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 thing so I've been paying more attention to these like really super short minute or less kind of film or sort of narratives because it's hard you know it's hard and like I went to a page that was like forty you know uh, forty two sentence horror stories and they're almost all but she was already dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was almost all of that was the plot. Like, but she already died, you know? And it's like, okay, I get it. Right. Um, trying to go outside that zone. It's cool. So that's one of my dreams. Is I want to launch, like, a channel that's just, like, 30-second, like, a minute or under content, like, 30-second sort of content. Dude, yeah. Okay. Well, or you could split it up, as they're suggesting in the chat room, into 10 six-second vines. You can make a mini-series. <laughs> to, yeah, to build why? <laughs> because why? Step into my you're office. That guy. You're doing it for the vine, Andrew. <laughs> That's why. That's awesome. What about you, Justin? I'm calling my own number on this one. Uh, you can go ahead and get uh, the Go Home Santa Your Drunk audiobook and ebook. It's available for the one-time-only combo price of $5.99. Uh, you can buy it on uh, PayPal or, uh, or or through the store if you go to GoHomeSanta.com. This one was a little late because I had to get uh, uh, music from Andrew Allen. And at first I'm like, man, this dude's taking a lot longer. And then I realized uh, that the three new stories I wrote for this edition of the book uh, are so long that they basically add double the audio length. Wow. That, uh, the last one was the previous 12 stories only added up to an hour and 22 minutes. This one, this audiobook is two hours and 22 minutes because of basically two stories. One of them is really not all that long. So the, the two new things are sizable. So if you bought it before, then this will hopefully be worth your, uh, your scratch. And uh, otherwise, it's $5.99. So, you know, really, what can you do? What, what, what can, what uh, can... Dude, I'll tell you what, man. I absolutely adored everything I heard from the version that came out last year. And if it's anything close to it, I'm 100% in. I'm actually buying it right this very minute. That probably sucks. So, <laughs> but lower your expectations. That, is, what are you, Mars One? Come on, man. I'm scamming you. I'm worse. I'm worse <laughs> than Mars One. I'm going to sell you a bag of dog poop. And then uh, you're going to be like, where the hell? Where did this dog poop come from? And then Brian's going to get really excited about the boom, the coming boom in dog poop. And uh, Andrew's going to admire. Hold on. Uh, all right. Keep talking because I am uh, totally buying all this. I'm buying it now. If you click below, you can find the payload saying to use PayPal. Um, crap, I probably should have done that, but I'm already halfway through this, so take it away, Justin. All right. Um, the buy and download button's not working for me here. Um, anyhow, uh, go home, Santa, you're drunk. Highly recommended. The stories are fantastic, and I can't wait to hear the new ones. I've been waiting for the audiobook because to hear Justin's voice tell them, for me, is my favorite way of listening to anything and everything. So, by the way... Um, my pick is Go Home, Sandy, or Drunk, the 38-second film. You know, Tuck Me In was just, just a thing I'm going to throw out there. So, there you All right, go. I just bought it. There it is. 
how did you buy it? Did you buy uh, it? I, I did a credit card. Oh, oh there yeah. is a thing that's uh, it's weird. If uh, if you're trying to buy it on PayPal, on some browsers, for whatever reason, because of the name server thing, you just got to uh, take that link on the payloads page and just copy and paste that into the URL, and, and uh, it'll let you buy it. Um, gentlemen, 